Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to my good, bad brain. I'm a normal person, so I'm insane. I've got depression and ADHD, but I'm doing better since I medicated me. I'm still not always sure whether I exist or what being a person even really is. But I figured out a long time ago that being alive is Guys, it's my good bad brain. Um, having a weird one. My grandfather died last night, late. Um, I'm not going to say too much about it right now because I don't. There's not a lot. Uh, I don't know. I don't understand. How no one could ever understand. Um, but yeah, it's just weird, you know, you're really like caught up in examining your reaction and being like, am I reacting correctly? What am I doing? How am I supposed to react to this? I don't know. Then I'll talk about some stuff with my siblings or my family and reminisce about them. I find when I write stuff down, it makes me more emotional. There's something about, um, you know, I, I took a picture of this passage from uh, a book about Huga, H-Y-G-G-E. This book, I, I got it for Ali about, uh, it's about um, this Swedish, uh, whatever, I think Sweet. I don't know, this Norwegian, I don't know, this idea of, it's a kind of coziness principle, but they talk about one of the um, main tenets is this idea of contrast. Uh, interiority, contrast, and atmosphere are the three aspects of Huga and contrast. The second one goes, because interiority focuses on the inside-outside aspect of Huga, it introduces the important theme of contrast. When we Huger, they use it as a verb, there is a sense of distance between us and the outside world, a contrast between the feeling that we are at the still axis of a moment of pleasure and our awareness of ever-moving life around us. And I took a picture of that to hang on to because that idea explains to me uh, why I 
so obsessed with things like nostalgia and dining and these like, you know, little moments of socialization or sort of poetic experience of life. Um, there's a sense of distance between us and the outside world, a contrast between the feeling that we are at the still axis of a moment of pleasure and our awareness of ever-moving life around us. And something about um, writing something down, maybe about your grandpa who has died, and a moment you remember with him um, or how he was and whatnot, that writing, that written, that little version of the person that is forever written down in those words, that person is a poem, and they become that still axis of a moment of whoever or whatever they were in this dimensionality, in this uh, expression of them through this dimension, back to whatever they came from now. And it's a still moment there, that still axis of them contrasted against our awareness of like, you know, ever moving life around them and us in it. Anyway, um, I'm sure I will have more thoughts about death later, but I'm going to just leave it there now because I don't know. It's just weird, you know, and I know different people have different relationships with their families. My grandpa has been pretty present in my life since the beginning and he was also very quiet. So he was present, but like introverted and sometimes hard to connect with. And so it's this just strangeness, this strange knowledge. And, and it was a surprise, but also we knew it was coming. And there's a whole thing someone said once, I don't know who, but I've heard it's a, a death of an old man is not a tragedy. And I think that that's true. It's just part of things. But it's strange and um, it felt listless and weird all day. And I think that sort of makes sense. Um, and, uh, that's just a thing that happened. So I'm saying that in the intro here. Um, this episode is an interesting and unique new one. We're trying something new. I did a remote interview and I did it with someone who, you know, started as a listener to the podcast and um, Terry uh, or Mama Terry, as uh, I, I think of them now mostly, um, DM'd me and we'll talk about it in the episode and I'm not going to say too much because I'll just repeat myself. I'll just say again here that uh, Terry probably doesn't realize how much impact Terry has had in my life. Um, just their consistent feedback to things that happen in the show and um, I don't know, it just makes me think all the time and, and the larger world at gen uh, in general. We're, we're just, you know, we come from such different backgrounds and... Um, yeah, mom, I don't know. Just makes me think. It always makes me think. I I'm just not going to say too much because you're going to listen to it. Uh, this was the first attempt. I'll just say technically. Oh, so that was part of the point. A listener becoming a part of the show. And I, I wanted to maybe start doing that uh, for a while. Find some listeners who have I've had some connection with um, and feedback about the show. And that might be interesting because this whole point of this show is like, normal people, quote unquote, you know, whatever that means, just your everyday, every kind of people and how we are all getting through. And so it'd be nice to hear back from some of those people, even though I know sometimes in the past I've had like influencers and things in the show. And I think, um, yeah, that's whatever. I think that's all pretty self-explanatory. I don't need to finish that thought. Um, so that was nice to do. 
sorry, I'm so weird. I know I'm weird. I'm just, like I said, I'm a little listless as I get through all this, um, whatever, trying to figure out how we're supposed to be feeling and not even worry about how we're supposed to be feeling and just paying attention to what we're feeling and ha ha <laughs> being a person is such a trick. Um, so Terry had this, has this big impact on me. Um, and now Terry, I mean, Terry's been a contributor to the show without realizing for some time or maybe realizing, I think I've shouted it out a couple times in DigiQueer 93, you know, and been like, Terry, Mama Terry's said this thing to me here or there, quote unquote, and then I would talk about it. So we recreate some of our first conversation on this show and we talk about recreating it. So I'm just not going to get into it too much. I really loved it. Um, I, I, uh, let me know what you guys think. I think there's an interesting, uh, I really just like the talks I have with Terry. So if you get things out of it, I hope you do. Um, uh, uh, Terry, uh, is, lives in Montana and I, I don't know. I'm not going to give away too much. They, they had, they, they're very fucking strong, I think in their expression. When, when Terry first reached out to me to talk about something, um, they're like, they included a couple pieces of information about this idea between the difference between a dialogue and a discussion and a debate, which um, has profoundly changed my understanding of the world. And I wish I'd understood just the way I wish I, I'd understood ADHD much sooner in my life. I think every child should be taught this idea of dialogue versus discussion versus debate. It will change how you talk to yourself. It will change how you talk to people that you uh, interact with uh, or, or love or hate or whatever. It's just a it profoundly, I think affects how you, receive people and the idea of truth or correctness and things like that. Um, I'm so sorry. I'm so unfocused and I have like no fucking idea what point I was making. I just feel weird and maybe it would be better if I stopped trying to do an intro and just said, um, Terry's been through a tough life like a lot of us and has somehow come out someone who was kind and gracious and thoughtful and uh strong and a sort of born teacher in their composure and uh presence i mean pr i mean we've never met each other in person but our our internet uh, whatever i think you know someone can have presence that extends beyond um beyond 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 just having to be in front of them of course so i hope you like this conversation as we talk about um, parenting your parents, getting through a tough upbringing, taking care of siblings, growing up too fast, sort of like how does your growing up change later, knowing that you have certain mental um, difficulties with your own brain. In this case, uh, Terry talks about depression, uh, which I think a lot of us encounter, but ha never having gone to be diagnosed for that, but knowing, just knowing it's real, you know, we, it doesn't take much, uh, Corey in the last episode talked about this too, that in health class as a kid, and they talked about what depression is and was like, Whoa, I think I have that. And just cause you never go to a doctor for it doesn't mean it's not like a real experience. Uh, and that there isn't benefit to talking about it and to understanding it as something you may have. Yeah, uh, this is a good one. It's always, it's just interesting to me. And oh, so this is the last little part of this was the first attempt at doing a remote interview. And so I made a little bit of a mistake with some of the recording. Um, basically, I should have just had Terry wear headphones uh, because you can hear a little bit of echo from my voice. I tried to minimize it, but hopefully it's not too distracting. And in the future, um, I won't do that. Uh, all right. 
enough of my little rambling. Uh, thanks for listening. Um, pa- Patreon.com slash my good bad brain. Uh, throw some dough if you if you want to do that because it's the best. Uh, all right, let's talk. Me and Mama Terry. I hope you like it. That's recording officially. Are you recording? I am. Oh, yeah. We'll just do it together. That's what we're going to do. Okay. Are you ready? What are we doing? The one, one two, two, three, clap. Okay. One, one two, three. All right. We'll see. <laughs> um, all right. So, oh, and I'll put a record this one, too, just so I have that backup. Boom. Hi, Terry. Hello. Uh, hello. Uh, or Mama Terry, as I don't I don't know in person, <laughs> but I know that's like you know from the yeah, internet. That's my that's my thing. Yeah. Um. Well, I'll just like talk for a minute. I guess I'll introduce you more in the my little pre thing anyway. But um, this has been something I wanted to do for a while, I guess, because early on you were somebody who responded to. Um, and I've talked about it on the, on the show too, but like mm-hmm. you were somebody who responded to me online about, um, the use of the word tribal was the subject matter of the, the first contact. And then, um, but then from then on, you've just been somebody who like, you listen to the show, but I don't know, I feel like you're a contributor to the show in a big way <laughs> at this point. And, and not just to the show. I mean, I was talking about you over, um, holiday break uh even at my my mom is doing this like yoga workshop thing new year thing and um so something about our conversation about dialogue because i think somebody was doing a little talk shop workshop thing about like living like what to do when you're in conflict or like staying sane in times of crazy or something like that and um and so we were talking about and i've been thinking a lot about violence and like violence in our expression in ourselves and how i think we kind of shun it and don't create a place to talk with it uh in our lives the way that we have maybe like softened a lot of cultural norms and uh suppressions around like eros instincts but thanatos ones related to like death and violence uh we repress those pretty hard and i feel like part of that is related to this issue where like nobody knows how to dialogue we're taught to like argue and that I actually think it's because being in dialogue is more uncomfortable because it's closer to like an actual conflict, like in the sense of two forces coexisting with maybe different ideas and having to let that settle out and find out where it comes from. I think argument is much more comfortable because you just sit in your point of view. Mm -hmm. And you and so like there's something about like in the avoidance of conflict in the violence sense, but also then an emotional violence sense, it feels so scary because you can't tell the difference between like a healthy conflict where you're like working something out and violence and like, this is horrible and you're attacking me and blah, blah. And so being able to live in that discomfort, I feel is like an important thing to do. And I brought up a lot of the stuff uh, I brought up you and things that you'd talk to me about and how you talk to me and this, the ideas of, of uh, dialogue. So I'm just saying that it's more context for pre-context, I guess, for like the impact you've had in, in my life, like, pretty weekly actually just in sort of in terms of like point of view stuff mm-hmm. and then just our continuing online friendship with that and early on i had this idea that maybe eventually we would do something where we talk to people who were like listeners of the show but uh you know and that's so that's kind of what this is i guess but like more so i feel like just i got lucky enough that you through you listening to the show 
you reached out and then I now I know you to some to with some distance but um and in that knowing I don't know so I was kind of like I don't really know what the episode is going to be about I just know that I'm always interested in the things we talk about and the points of view that you present me with and so I was like, I don't know, fuck it. We'll just have, a, we'll just talk about Terry and where Terry's from and how that maybe has impacted like mental health and life and just being a person and just whatever. So that's it. I don't, I don't know. That's all I had pre-thought about for doing in this episode. What do you think? Totally. Yeah. I hadn't put much thought in it either. We kind of just, like you said, from when I first initially reached out and then you were like, well, maybe we could do this as a podcast. And I was like, oh, I don't know. Maybe. Who knows? Because I am definitely not the person who, um, I'm not the type to get up and talk f for an audience. I'm definitely not that kind of person. Um, I'm definitely in the background and kind of, and it's definitely a lot easier because I'm de more articulate in written form. And yeah. you know, I think I just had that time, that space to respond to you that way and mm. so doing this is pushing me out of my comfort zone but that's definitely something that I strive to constantly do as well and that's I think also a reason why I agreed to do this yeah I'm so glad well that's interesting okay so because I didn't perceive that in you I mean I guess everybody this day and age is probably it's different because you're your community, it's weird that like as technology is advanced we actually like spend more time communicating by written word than I did when I was a kid or, or my parents did probably. So I guess that does make sense that I do think a lot of people are more comfortable, but I didn't perceive that when we had a conversation and that is a good jumping off point. I guess that could be part of the topic of what we talk about, which, which, um, the, the subject of the first one was, and, uh, I'll try to like say my memory of it because I think that's important too. <laughs> like, how do I think about that event? And like, what did I think we were talking about? You know, is like, who knows? But, um, my basic thing was I think I used the word tribal probably in, in some colloquial sense of mm -hmm. you find your tribe or something like that, kind of the way people say it. And you had reached out and said, you know, where you're from and, and you're uh, part of the world, like that word tribal count and count carries a lot more weight and context uh, and, you know, specifically to a marginalized group of people. And, um, that may, and that I should consider that when I use the term that like, it will carry a certain meaning and, you know, that probably is not what I intend and not what I, uh, am part of. So I should consider that. And I have considered it. I think probably I still say tribe or tribal sometimes like unthinkingly, to in the colloquial sense of like a group of like-minded people or s people who have self-selected into some kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But more and more so I, w I was like, no, I guess that's true. I could use I just as easily use like, say like um, like-minded people or family or group or something like that and not have to, you know, sort of um, co-opt any of the uh, meaning that is, that belongs to a very specific sort of ignored uh, people that have had atrocities performed on them and with no answer for it. An answer for it. But that's what, so, and then we, uh, we started a dialogue about that. Yeah. And I, and I definitely wanted to approach it with the fact of like, I don't want to police what you say or the terms you use or whatnot, but make you understand if you were going to use that in context, did you actually mean tribal in that sense that I understand it? And if not, I wanted to understand where you were coming from. 
And in my initial reaching out, that's I was trying to understand what your intent was with using that. And I think I'm pretty sure I hit it. I mean, your response was, yeah, that makes sense. And I was hitting yeah. it in the head. So. Well, it also, so it presented, um, it presented like this whole open discussion of the difference between dialogue and, uh, and I don't know, argument, I think is the only other way that we're taught to talk to each other. And, uh, I don't know, it was just interesting because it, it touched on a lot of things. One, that dialogue concept has come up a lot in this podcast and in my life of being like, wow, there's this whole other way to talk to people and noticing, noticing like, especially when we slip into conflict with, with me, with like loved ones, how quickly you go to like, but you said, you said, and I just, that's what become one of my cues now of like this evidence gathering style of talking to people where like, you're just holding a point of view and looking for things you can use as points yeah. as opposed to like this idea where you're actually trying to communicate, which I think also struck me by, and then just on the personal, like cultural, um, sort of precarious, uh, point that of that aspect of the conversation was one of like feeling like I'm a white straight guy who just talks online publicly. <laughs> I put myself out there and as that, like I want to be that. And, um, and then this like moment of fear of like, Oh no, I'm being problematic. And Oh no. And, and this like lockdown over that. And this fear of like, I didn't mean that. I didn't mean it. How could I be wrong? And like, I'm going to get oh, so fucking, what am I going to be in now? And that weird instinct of like, you know, and then um, and then sort of like the relaxing and like, whoa, just watching that reaction and being like, why are you doing that? Like, what is the problem? What are you afraid of in this conversation or what's making you uncomfortable about the implicit nature of it? So just got, I got to look at that and then we really talked about it. And I think also it sounds so silly, but the realization that um, very instantly, like you just said, by by saying first, like basically that you truly weren't trying to police me or tell me what to do or tell me like you're in culture jail or something like that. Mm -hmm. It was like to talk to like, cause you want me to think about things differently or you want other yeah. people to, you know, you want this actual earnest desire to like not, yeah. Be like the, you're, you're the bad person thing, police thing, but like, and that feeling so, revolutionary in this like moment in time yeah and that led and we had like a long skype talk about it and and uh but anyway part of that was to say that i found i didn't think there was any like difficulty talking at all so i'm surprised to hear that because you're because yeah because you feel like a strong voice totally yeah but i'm um i'm definitely an introvert even though i've held a lot of like leadership positions and i'm definitely the outspoken type i definitely spend a lot of time alone and I'm if you check any of my social media or whatnot I don't post a lot it's not a lot of me um, I'm very inconsistent that's just because I'm definitely more of an observer in that um, fact and in life really I mean even like this conversation most of this is just gonna be me listening and then just spurts of <laughs> me responding just because I'm definitely uh, like our last conversation, it was more or less um, the whole think to talk and talk to think type. I'm definitely right. To think to talk, it's going to take me a long time. Um, and, and that's why I think I was so interested in your podcast originally because, <coughs> because you bring 
you naturally go back and forth between dialogue, debate, and discussion very naturally. Right. Which is, I think, pretty unheard of just because I am so um, experienced with dialogue that dialogue, in a sense, within this society where it's so reactionary that um, that the way you, and I, I've always said this, the prosody in which you speak is so natural and um, graceful in a way, just the way you go back and forth between all of those. And that's why I think I'm so interested in your podcast because I'm so used to just speaking and interacting with people through dialogue. And then you go back and forth and in and out of dialogue that I'm like, oh wait, no. And then I'm like, oh, he's not speaking in dialogue in this instance. Or <laughs> the guest isn't speaking well, in dialogue. Well, that's, wait, can you, that's really interesting because I have a lot of thoughts to that, but would you mind clarifying a little bit um, that idea, like the distinction between those three things, dialogue and discussion and argument? Totally. Um, argument or we say debate, but argument debate. Well, the debate's nice because then yeah. you get exactly. alliteration. So discussion is what we're more natural to interacting with for people. It's, um, what we do on a day-to-day -day basis, it's retaining a relationship or maintaining it, making sure there's no conflicts, or if there are conflicts, we feel weird about it and we want to resolve them as soon as possible. Debates don't care about relationships. They want to make their point and they want there's the sense of competition and a winner and a loser and not really maintaining anything. And then with dialogue, it's the whole, it's, building the relationships or finding common ground really <coughs> um, and we specifically do that through speaking through personal experience so the dialogue that I've grown into and been a moderator for at the university is we don't bring in statistics we don't say well well you know when that kind of thing it's in my experience I've had this happen and that's the only thing that um and that's where that whole idea of validation comes in. Yeah. Of you may not agree, you may not believe them, but that's their truth. And right. And so we're going to validate that and see what we pull from their story and their experience and whether we necessarily agree with the fact that they, for example, don't believe that they have white privilege. Fine but I'm going to tell my story of how my race has impacted um, the way I don't have privilege or I do have privilege. And hopefully they can see that and start um, validating that experience of whether or not they actually do have white privilege. Just for Yeah, that, uh, that even that concept of like the world as I just think that's so freeing and quite frankly, so helpful in trying to move forward with like, I, I don't know, from a mental health perspective, one thing that used to fuck me up so much um, was just like how bad everything is just and you, you felt like you beat like people were overwhelmingly bad. I just watched um I fell asleep in the last little bit because it was too late at night. I started but I was watching this movie eighth grade. Have you seen that hmm. movie? It's, it's good It's Bo Burnham made this thing about like these and it's about this eighth grade girl. And it's so, I thought very good, very painful, like very like 
apt about like what it's like to be in eighth grade and the horrible little social interactions people have and like and and so anyway that feeling that things are very overwhelming and then can compound to like global events like there's this wars and these meaningless things and being able to like look at other people who did terrible things or said terrible things or felt terrible ways and truly look at them as like they're only the sum of their experiences Mm -hmm. and whatever they're doing or saying is like coming from this place of like their truth like it's they're very and they're and they can't like it's so much more helpful to be honest about uh your truth because then we can actually make progress with it and i feel like a lot of especially like more left-leaning and woke like kind of types people who like want to be on that side of the spectrum i'm saying woke in quote quotes i think are more concerned with like since we don't learn how to dialogue and i saw this in myself you're more concerned with like this discussion debate side of like learning the right language and making sure you don't do the wrong thing Mm -hmm. instead of facing genuine uh like maybe culturally ingrained points of view or or bigotries or uh, even like racist thoughts and stuff like that um honestly and saying like well actually in your experiences so far what you've come to accumulate and kind of hold as your actual reaction may not be what you like it to be and you should and if you can't validate the reality of that in a valued in a judgmentless way like just like then then you just will never look at it and acknowledge it and i felt like that so that idea of dialogue even for with oneself if you want to improve anything in your life whether it's like your depression emotional state or to be just a truly better version of yourself that's maybe less racist or less afraid of different people or something like that mm-hmm. you have to be able to look at those dark or, or even like let's just say be less angry be less like rage reactionary to people around you in a defensive way like to look at the parts of you that are kind of bad and say like those are real though and i and they're in there and yeah. not and not to say like you know what i mean like they're so riddled with guilt and shame to go, they just are what they are. Now let's go about why and changing that, you know? Totally. And I think, yes. And you said that people are the sum of their experiences. Well, yeah. I think the sum of their invalidated and validated experiences. There are people yeah. who are going to go about completely ignoring certain experiences. And where does that be? Trauma or privilege? and that affects who they are and how they go about in the world and i think yeah it's just the the next step of those yes i think you are right that's that yes all the experiences that's very interesting because yes the invalid because i also think the other thing about it like i think that's a that's an interesting uh binary too of um trauma what'd you say you said trauma or privilege Mm -hmm. like have their trauma or privilege and that it is true. I think there's also because we're so discussion and honestly, I, I think bypassed right to debate oriented, like in the way we're taught to speak. I I do think one like you kind of you kind of in, instinctively weigh out in this conversation you're having with whoever you're having with your uh, traumas and your privileges and go whichever one I have more of. That's the only thing that's valid. Yep. And so if they're saying that they have. that I'm more privileged than they are, then that must mean they think I don't have any traumas, (laughs) you know, you know what I mean? Because I'm the privileged one and they're the trauma one instead of this honest dialectic that says, no, no, other people having more trauma doesn't validate your depth of humanity. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
It's just saying like we're asking you to consider what a disproportionate amount of uh, acknowledged humanity might do to a culture and to a people and to individuals over a long period of time. Something like that. But like just just sort of making it more okay for everybody in the dynamic, including oneself, to, to have a – or maybe not even make it okay, encouraging a dialectic view mm-hmm. of reality, which would might allow a true pluralism like to emerge. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> no, there's not really a question. But I mean – but so that, that thing of that like uh, – what you made me think there – I don't know. I wonder what your thoughts are on this because I do – now that you've been able – the present to me like this uh, different of these these three ideas of speaking with an individual mm-hmm. i do think you're right that my in- inclination is to slip between those three modalities pretty fluidly but it almost feels like when you say that it's like it almost feels like uh when you're when you're like a toddler and you're getting taken out to swim or something like that and it's like you're like oh, whoa whoa this is too deep and then we go back like that you're it's so that you can keep a thing with someone where you we want to move this thing forward and kind of like the way capitalism is very good at creating uh, surplus, but you have to switch to socialism eventually or else everyone kills each other. It's like debate can be good for moving stuff forward. But when it gets to like not acknowledge we got to go like, all right, hold on. Let's go back to dialogue. Let's all just chill. We're good. We're here. Now are we good. We feel good. All right, let's move forward with the debate. And then, uh, and then you know, and then it's like this. Let's go to the deep end. That's too much for everybody. Let's uh, let's back off. Let's go where we need to be. And, you know, totally. And those three different points of interaction, I think they are all useful in the fact of we have to make sure each one of those when we're experiencing them and in the depth of it all, is it productive? And I think that's yeah. the biggest thing is that we've we've done all the debate, done all the discussion, like, and now we have such a reactionary society that we just want to say, well, you're the bad guy. This is my experience, and this is how I'm feeling like I'm being oppressed. And mm-hmm. now with social media and the internet, it's exemplified even furthermore in that we just have to be reactionary, and that whole liking takes a millisecond to do and blocking, and it's just easier when, in fact, right. I think... I think early civil rights was so successful in what they did because we were just learning about how to effectively debate and how effectively to discuss. But they were going on more of dialogue-based and like, this is my experience, this is why we need to change the policy. And that slowly changed things. Now we're in a society where it's so fast and dialogue takes time and energy that no one has right. or no one wants to give forth to that effort. Yeah. And so I think that's why dialogue is so, the idea of dialogue is so weird to so many people because we are living in this society where debate and discussion are more su- successful. But I think we're slowly running out of that, that kind of steam. <coughs> the steam for the... For which one? For, for the for debate and discussion to be yeah, active. and just going back to that. It just because you think we're running out of steam with that, like meaning like we're just running out of like it being effective at all anymore that we have to do this dialogue thing or else. Yeah, I do think yeah. that's true. Yeah, for sure, and it's interesting because I mean, I I I took six and a half years to graduate from college. Um, 
my first two years, I was working three jobs. All my grades were awful, so I had to retake two years of classes. Um, but I spent so much time and I had, um, I was lucky enough to work in the diversity awareness office and I got into the dialogue group. And now being a dialogue moderator for three years and now that's the only way I can really talk is through dialogue. And I'm not saying all the time, like there are some times that I'm petty and then I go forth and I mm -hmm. something really <laughs> reactionary and not really well thought out. Um, not as eloquently as I did with you originally, but that's pretty much the only way I can go about it. So it's hard to really not look at everything through a dialogue lens and then to have people come at me and want to debate or want to simply discuss. I'm like, no, but like, what do you mean? Yeah. So you said the statement, what's your experience with that? And then I'm like, and then it's soon enough where it's two hours later and we've discussed. Right, right, right. It's like there's like shit to do today. You yeah, know what exactly. I mean? Like, like sometimes you're just like, I just don't have like, please. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's very hard. That's very real. Yeah, it's pretty. It's interesting, especially with now that I am um, graduated finally. Um, Congratulations. Thank you so much. Uh, I, did, I, did, I never did that, but it seems like a lot. Honestly, if I knew what I was going into, um, I majored in elementary education, and if I knew oh. what I was going into, I would have never gone to college either. Well, I will say, A, that is dope that you do that, because like, that's literally, I always say about the dialogue thing, I was like, we should be learning this in kindergarten. That's crazy that we don't like this. But, um, but why what about it what just just the amount of the work you mean or or do you mean like the subject matter just being um having the dialogue lens and being so aware of the whole the hypocrisy and the politics yeah. and the fact that i know what i bring to the table and the resources that would be available to me aren't what i want to give to my kids right be in my classroom and I know if knowing that I wouldn't give everything to those kids, so I can't do that to those kids. So, you're wait, wait, wait. You, in what sense you give give them like literally in terms of resources of like school learning equipment stuff, or giving of yourself, like what they would require for you to? Yeah, and so you're saying like since you feel like you can't invest all of you in that, then it's like better to not do it at all. Yeah, exactly. Because I don't think man, that's yeah as effective as I could be and that would be irresponsible for me for those students so yeah but that's so interesting because that makes me think of like the whole thing of like having kids and the, and the thing about like people who have kids like just that idiocracy joke of like the people who are like I just don't think we'd be able to like take care of them the right way and yeah. we only have like a two like hundred thousand dollar paying jobs and I just don't know that we can you know <laughs> and that like the people who do just like have nothing and have no emotional control and they just keep having kids mm -hmm. and like, like maybe it's the people who are like I don't know that I could give them my all so I probably you know who actually think that thought that should be in there Definitely. yeah and <laughs> something to consider that is interesting. I think that definitely comes that you bring that up. The fact that, well, <clears throat> my mother was incarcerated when I was nine and I moved mm. with my aunt um, off the reservation. And 
I had an awful childhood, like mm. ridiculous. So I think that's I've read why some of your poems. That's uh, yeah, which are very good, by the way. Thank you, you sent me those early. And I really love that too. That also won me over because I was like, because you were like. Try, instead of sending a bio to someone if i could just send poems to people like i'm like before we talk i'd like you to know a little bit who i am here's a poem exactly. <laughs> it was like for me that's like the best way i was like yes all right yeah, like this definitely. is speaks to me anyway um, sorry well we'll come back to the poem thing but yeah i think that that's the reason why i'm so invested and why i think i wanted to go into teaching originally was yeah because school was a a safe place for me that's where I could be a kid and mm. and the people who were my teachers were my absolute saviors so I thought well I could be that for someone else but now knowing the whole game of being a teacher I it makes me feel gross and I don't want to do that so if I mm. can go above that and change some stuff on the admin side maybe that's something I'll go into but also there are so many other things that are pulling me away from teaching. And I'm not saying that I didn't like my education or whatnot. It gave me so many tools and skills that I would have never learned in any other um, yeah. degree. But knowing the education system and how it's set up, it's not made for someone like me to go in there and make those students successful. Hmm. So... But just the system's just so fucked. Just the whole. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I was. I was. Uh, I mean, I, it's not a something that's come up really intensely for me because I've never. I don't have kids or anything like that, and I'm not looking at that at all. So it's. It is weird to be a grown up and realize how little you think about like the education systems that you went through when you were a kid because you're like, well, I'm done with it now, <laughs> you know. Yeah, exactly. Um, but that I was listening to a thing about um. ADHD uh, stuff just because obviously that's a thing I struggle with a lot and the more I learn about it the more it explains like so fucking much about my life that I wish I'd, I learned about but they're saying one of the like like um, they, it's hard school is hard for you basically because your motivation systems are totally different um, and so the three basic ways that everybody else is motivated to do things are uh, they're um, basically important like it's very important that you do this your teacher tells you because you're because you'll get good grades or whatever mm -hmm. and you just don't it doesn't make sense to you you're like it's not a, I don't yeah that's not important to me yeah um, like other people's idea of priority and then uh, reward and consequences like like if I do this something good will happen or if I do this, something bad will happen they just don't affect you at all they just seem annoying and that the, they were saying one of the few um, types of learning that works for children is like who uh, have ADHD is Montessori style like mm -hmm. this like you know and I went to a year of preschool in a Montessori school um, before like going to normal public school and I just thought that was interesting because I associate the very early years of my life like when my mom like was I she was like had me on her back while she was in college and then would take me to like museums and stuff like that uh i associate that with like the most formative like anything that like honest i always say to people i think i think the things that make you sound smart quote unquote you learn in elementary school it's like mythology and like you know things and like interesting things and i really feel like that and so i thought it was interesting this montessori thing made me feel smart and i carried that idea that i am smart like into my life even though like regular school systems didn't give me that 
totally and then to hear like and you know 30 years later like this podcast be like montessori works for people with adhd because it doesn't make them feel like they live in a world that makes no sense anyway it um it just speaks to what you're talking about like that the difficulty in uh, how the system is set up to take care of kids and uh teach kids and and like how much you really shape somebody's sense of identity in the world mm-hmm. from those early experiences. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think that that seems like, um, really overwhelming for sure. That's like, that seems like a tough field to look into. Yeah. It was pretty, it was probably my, my last semester is when I student taught and that was this past fall. And that was probably the most challenging semester I had in my entire college career and just being in in classrooms with kids yeah how old were the kids you were teaching I was teaching fourth grade um yeah um and it was very interesting because a lot of our kids were um we didn't have very many behavior problems but it was mostly for kids who were very high up in certain subjects and very, very low in certain subjects. So we had problems that started within academics because they either were challenged too much or were challenged not enough and therefore had behavioral problems. And so that was exhausting, mm-hmm. but also the very fact that I was also working outside of a 40 hour work week on top of that. And then also just like with personal stuff and whatnot. So it was about halfway through, I was like, I'm just going to drop out. Like, this isn't mm. it. The, the whole and like the drama. And I had one parent wanting me not to be student teaching in their um, child's classroom. And really? Yep. <laughs> Why? Um, because of the certain things I posted on my social media which was mostly like encouraging diversity and inclusion. And they were just a very um, conservative type, um, which I think is interesting considering how um, progressive the teacher was, um, a cooperating teacher, and she was amazing. And she kind of just let me do whatever and was like, if you have ideas about this, and we spent the first two weeks built like literally building a community and doing all those kind of um, uh, icebreaker type things and stuff mm. like that. So wait, wait, what's some of that? Are there like standard community building exercises or something? Or no, not at all. This is just oh. from the teacher. She took two yeah. weeks and did that, and then the whole whole semester we were behind all the other fourth grade classes and lesson plans and whatnot, but. It um it worked. We had a very tight knit group and um yeah. But I that's just, cool. I like that. That's interesting that she prioritized that over like sticking to this curriculum or something. Yeah. So it's interesting to have such a progressive and I would say more liberal leaning teacher, and then to have all the conservative parents really love her, and then to have me come in and kind of be the mm-hmm. same thing and not get the same reaction. Um, yeah. So all that drama, and so it, it was very interesting. And I think that's also hmm. how it's shaped me, how I go about interacting with people, like being a, an educator. Yeah. And really sitting down and asking questions and digging deeper, just like within dialogue. And 
So yeah. those two kind of worked with each other to make me, I think, more successful in communicating with people that I agree with and people that I disagree with. Like <laughs> with yeah. your podcast specifically, I, I mean, I, I live and breathe podcasts. So they're <laughs> constantly on. Even before this, I had to shut it off and before I turned um, to get onto this. Yeah. And me too. Well, well, pretty much. But anyway, keep going. And, um, oh my God, I lost my thought. You were listening to a lot of podcasts. You listen to a lot of podcasts. podcasts. With yours, I will go around and like respond to something you said or something (laughs) your guest said out loud. I'm like, no one can hear me. It doesn't matter. Like stuff like that. No, I love that. I do that sometimes. I think I have a tendency to listen to like, I, I have a fond, I think because I'm this like white guy, I have a soft spot for, spot for like guys who are right on the edge of like, just be a little more, just grow up a little, you know, like you have a voice that a lot of people are listening to. So like Chris D'Elia and like Joe Rogan and these people who I think are like right on the verge of like, they're like, I think generally good faith meatheads. And there's so many men who listen to them who like will, uh, their opinion will go with like what they say Mm -hmm. and I've always like lived between these two worlds of being like always like very you know theatery and like flowy and and watery and feeling a lot of like personally just a lot of female energy internally and then um and then like this this vessel that I feel also just in my experience of it has a lot of validity and uh influence and and voice in me that is very guy that is very like broy. I love to wrestle and like you know I love bro stuff you know and I, I that that guy lives in me and it makes me feel like I can understand a lot of like toxic masculine instinct and and also see very clearly why they haven't worked it out yet and so I do that speaking out loud thing to some of those podcasts because on the one hand I'm like Originally, I started listening to Joe Rogan sometimes because I was just like, oh, he's the perfect mix of like DMT, like, man, the world's crazy. We should also do hallucinogens, but also did MMA. And I was like, yeah, this guy's my perfect balance of things that I like. And then he started like giving more platform to like bad faith actors. And I don't think he means to be, but I'm like, you know, so I'm always like, it just, I, I, it's hard for me to ignore the big popular things in the middle that I, I was just thinking when you were saying that, like, I give more attention to the things that I know will, like, trigger me, that will, like, bother me. Like, and I, like, I have to tune in and see, like, what are they going to do? How are they going to disappoint me or fuck up this week (laughs) or something like that? Um, But also, at the same time, they entertain me. Like, there's things I really like about what they do or that make me laugh or or that I identify with. Anyway, so I do that talking back to podcast thing too sometimes. And sometimes I'm sheepish to say the things I listen to the most because I don't, I don't, I'm like, no, it's not like I just agree with and love everything they say. Like part of the point I do is this ongoing identity crisis about like, what do I fucking am as like this, you know, the colonist, you know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And what you do, how I move forward in the world with all my other feelings. Um, anyway, but yeah, so, so that talking a lot, that's, I think why I like, I, the way you engage with me has always genuinely made me richer, you know, uh, like it it makes me think more about shit. I don't know. And I think, so 
I don't know. There's no end point to this point. It's just that like that that talk around. It feels that way. Like when you send me the message after, I'm like, when you told me like I'll say speak out loud to something you or your guests say, I'm like I can feel it in a good way. You know I, that this is like a long time coming basically, and I don't know. There's just something fruitful in this exchange for me, at least, and I hope <laughs> you get things out of it too. Definitely. Yeah, and I think, yeah, going back to that, I think that's why I'm so interested in your podcast because the way you think is definitely opposite from what I think, and I'm definitely that person who needs something to like challenge me. I love a good challenge, especially in something as fundamental as something that like I believe in or that my understanding of a certain topic I'm like wait a second I don't know about that yeah and then and that's why I always follow up because I'm like okay so I'm gonna follow up see what he says and see my understanding furthers from what your understanding is from yeah the exchange and so <clears throat> I think that's why I keep listening well, can you give me an example about that? Like, like what is the difference? Because I want to, I kind of want to move more into like, it's this episode is closer to uh, the the only other professional I've had on the podcast. It's like <laughs> right now the dialogue has been, or I, whatever, not the loaded term sense of dialogue, but whatever we're talking back and forth at each other has been more in the vein of that about this other idea. But I was like, kind of wanted to make this sort of hybridized that like as a guest also as a like, just as Terry, like, and knowing the poetry you've written and, and basically that I kind of want to bridge from some perspective of like, not just you as this character who I don't know in another state, who is a friend who I know through this context of discussing social issues that I always feel expand me, like beyond just that quote, like service sense of what you bring into my life, like as an individual and as a guest in that sense, I want to bridge over to say like, so, so knowing that the, one of the initial frameworks of my knowing of you and was that you as a as a native uh, person as like a first people's person mm -hmm. as a queer person as like these these different sort of things plus living on that like front line of like campus culture in fucking montana uh working with aclu having all these parents around you who are conservative we had an interesting thing about guns one time because you had a more nuanced sense of that than most leftist people that i have because of your own background I, that is to say, your my your background is so different from mine. Um, even if I feel quite kindred with you in the way we communicate, or or reading your poems, or whatever, I'm very interested in those um, in your experience of like mental health, of being a person in those contexts that are so different from mine, and um, and specific, especially to I think the first people's stuff, because I mean, I you know. I did my we had to do this is this sounds like the most suburban shit ever, but we had to do like these uh, study, uh, you know, like a big thesis book report one semester. I think our junior or sophomore year on and everybody had to do on a, a whatever a marginalized people. And I did it on Native Americans and uh, just had a cursory understanding, which was never taught to me outside of my like independent study for this project about like aim and about like just you know the history of like the fbi's war on fucking native americans and and then obviously all the genocide unanswered for before that mm -hmm. and so that is something that i think is still like so because of the reservations and because of geography like still is a very cloistered population from 
even like mainstream marginalized groups, you know? So to me that, that like double triple whammy or whatever of like indigiqueer, that's like your identity on Instagram. How does that then affect your sense of like, and your personal experience with your life and your, I, I won't speak about that, but I'll just say that we're in your poems. Um, how does that, how do you then end up here? Like, going to school to try to affect educational policy and help people like you holding space and not just being reactionary for people who say stuff that's different. Like how do you go from that to like who you are and, and how do you maintain any sort of like mental wellness or sanity or, you know, not just reactionary fucking anger that like all the time, you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh gosh. That's a, so that was a big long thing to say, like, please talk about you. I don't know. Oh, God. Um, I guess I can go back <coughs> and kind of tell my my story, which I sure. love. Um, uh, I had to grow up really quickly when I was a child. I My parents were druggies and alcoholics. I have, I say I have six siblings. I technically, or I have five siblings. I technically only have four, but we took in... Um, a very young cousin um, right as she was born and just had her before um, we all got split up. But I remember like at five years old cooking dinners and making sure my little sisters took a bath and I was doing homework on the bus the next morning because I had no time to the night before to actually do it at home. And so I had to grow up very very quickly and then once I got off the reservation and lived with my aunt um, and my uncle they really were what saved me and what I feel I was lucky to get off the reservation because out of the six kids I'm two of us have graduated high school and we're all above um, graduation age so there's um, and a couple of us, a couple of my siblings have gone back and got their G, um, GED. Yeah, I think, yeah. Yeah. And, and then I'm the first in my family to attend college. So in some aspects, I'm very, very lucky, but in other aspects, I think I had to give up a lot of my identity in being indigenous because I was off reservation. I was in a predominantly white school. I think there was one other indigenous person in mm. the entire school um, when I went there and it was my cousin who I lived with. Um, mm. And so for me, it was giving, giving up a lot of my identity in order to be successful in the system that I was placed in. So whether it be on the reservation with my parents who were not actually parents, it was giving up my being a kid, my age and being a child and a son, it was being the parent. And here now, and then being off reservation, I had to be not be native or not be indigenous. And then here at college was the only point that I could really go ahead and be indigenous, queer, a person. Like, I, I say college was my years to grow into childhood because that's really mm -hmm. when I started to rebel 
Yep. <laughs> um, when I got um, my nose piercing, my family was like, are you okay? We're concerned. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. And I, was like, I mean, I just, I, I uh, just did some resonance with that. I, you know, whatever. My dad had his drug and mental breakdowns a little later than, but I, I always identify the same thing being like 12, 13 and like driving kids to soccer practice and cooking them all dinner and stuff like that. And feeling like you got to do that. And I've thought about it a lot that I, my inability, whatever, that the rebellion comes later. Like I also then got in a relationship when I was like 16 and stayed in it very codependently for eight years. And I knew even then kind of, I was like, I'm like gonna, I'm not going to be the destabilizing force for that. My parents were, you know, I was like, we're going to stay together. This is it forever. And, uh, and that I had this rebellion phase when I finally broke out of that, where I was like acting like a shitty teenager again for a while, like, because it was like, Yes, you you have to do this kid thing, like later. Yeah, uh, that's really real. I, I keep going about your story, but I think I just want to highlight that and ask you more about. Do you think you worked? Do you think you did that enough, or or like, or we could even go off on a tangent now. Like, how does that affect you to this day? Do you feel like you're doing like a parallel, like I'm being my youthful self and switching back into my grown up self, or have you found a balance? Do you think you worked it out? Like, how do you feel about that doing the kid now thing? Definitely. I think I am going out of that phase now and definitely yeah. going back into... How old are you? I'm 25. Okay, okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. That's so, reason. That's like a good time to start slowing down. Six and a half years in college, that was definitely my... Yeah, yeah. My rebelling phase, for sure. I was drinking a lot, um, doing some questionable um, things... Right. So it was so many questionable things. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I still to this day, I think about that Fiona Apple song, a mistake. And I I quote it all the time, which is just as a well-made mistake. And I think about that, like how many well-made mistakes I've, I've done in my life, like very intentional, like, Oh, I know this is destructive. I know. (laughs) And then you're just doing it anyway. And to this day, I do think there's like little versions of that that are good and accept. Like there are not like true firebombing my whole like life and emotional situation and creating drama just to be like, Oh, I don't know. Why not? But like uh, a little bit more consciously, I do think there are still places that you need to like hold that space for the trickster or something for the forces of chaos you know <laughs> like Definitely. well-made mistake is very crucial to sanity yeah and even then i think i was very calculated in my decisions so i ne- necessarily wasn't like just throwing it all to the wind i was right I was well like, you couldn't oh, afford to no not like you all. can't afford to truly like release all the control mm-hmm. yeah so it was very calculated irresponsibility but it was hmm. It was very formative in who I am now because then I'm like, oh, okay, I've had those things like it's fine. Yeah. Um, Even like I didn't drink till I was until my 21st birthday because I was good. Yeah. I'm not going to drink. I like I'm not going to be that person. And then I realized I oh, I'm not my parents. So then. And then, but the, but just the fact that you were able to wait that long means you're not your parents yeah. to some degree, you know. Like I think uh, I was kind of like that too. I was yeah. just like avoided it a lot. I did drink for the first time when I was like probably 15 or 16, but mm-hmm. I I didn't keep al I didn't buy my own alcohol. You know what I mean? It would be like at a, like until I was like 21 or 22, and I would you know keep it in the house. Maybe a little later, yeah. like later than one would think. But it's I just think that speaks to there's something about like when it first gets in you, I think, too, that like 
where your brain is in its development. Totally. Uh, you know what I mean? That ad addresses like how you'll interact with it to some degree. Mm -hmm. Anyway. Yeah. Alcohol is the one that freaks me out a little. Like I've, I've let my, I've tried it a little bit again in the new year <laughs> and I'm like, it's fine. I, you know, I, both times it's like I had one the whole night, like one with my friend was going away. Miles, who was on the spot, he's like gone to Europe for three months to cook over there. And, uh, and then, and then I had one like a, the other night with dinner with, with Allie and it was like, you're just like, mm, I don't know. There's something, it's kind of nice, but it could have as well been tea. And it was like, it just, alcohol is our, especially if any of us who have this, these good, bad brain things, I just don't think it does much good for you. Like it, it can, it can really enhance a night if, it, if you have a truly bright group of people and it's like feels good and jubilant. It can be dope. It can be really nice. Or if you're gonna have like a really dark, some like dark sexy stuff, it can be nice sometimes. But it's really like one of those like ooh, the cost benefit on alcohol as a coping substance for me is just like really lost a lot of cred. You know. Totally. And. And yeah, I definitely used it as more of a tool to like socialize and being those in those environments. Yeah. That, um, especially being such an introvert and going out and being with friends and then meeting those people's friends and right. And I was like, oh, okay, I could just be drunk and it doesn't matter. And then right, it was about two summers ago, right before the fall semester, and I realized that I was like drinking to cope. With, I, I yeah. I'm pretty sure I was going through a depressive episode, but I was drinking like daily because yep. I, I worked from home. I um, set my own hours. I was just alone, home all the time. Yeah, would you do it while working? Yep. Yeah, that's like I would do. For me, it became a thing. I was like, my little whiskey cup would be like my writing buddy, you know, and uh, and that's why I stopped last year was because I realized yep. I was doing that basically every day. Yep. This this like subwoofer of scotch in the background and, and never feeling like drunk, just being like maybe get buzzy by the end of the evening or something. But mm -hmm. yeah, it was like a really weird habit. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so and even I like once the once I realized that and the semester started, I just told myself I wasn't going to drink. So I didn't drink yeah. the entire semester. And going back to school and especially in a college campus that social pressure to drink and to go out and to party is a constant whether mm -hmm. it's a tuesday afternoon or saturday night like everyone's wanting to yeah. get drunk and i i got really lucky with the people that i have um for friends and colleagues here in this at at the college because they're very understanding and i was like I'm just not drinking this semester and yeah they're like okay and so yeah even that's so helpful yeah like that's me and jason did the no drinking thing together most of the time we're, do we're doing game sobriety this month no video games <laughs> in january and we're support that's way harder than drinking to be honest yeah. but um yeah that's really good that's the best i think anybody out there if you have friends who like fuck with you too much like when you decide to cut something out maybe cut them out <laughs> but but genuinely like that's so uh that's such a red flag to me a about someone's care about you when they like are like what what do you mean come on have one of those blah blah yeah. um it's like where they're at is usually pretty fucking weird um 
but also like to stay strong. That's uh, find people who will support that. <laughs> yeah. And and it's really interesting cuz I'm not one to like hold back anything. So if people would push me to be like, "Oh, why are you not drinking?" I was like, "Well, I was drinking every day for the last month and I was in a pretty bad hole." So I'm not going to do yeah. that. And they're like, yeah. Oh, okay. Whoops. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. What, um, you're make me. Yeah. Just start scaring people with it. Be like, listen, I'm a professional. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So. The, no, ever. No one gets out alive if I start. All right. Yeah. Exactly. That's really funny. So, um. Well, do you? I mean, maybe we can sort of segue this into the blend of the the six quick cues of like that first one of like have you ever and, and you know which is on the tails of the whole thing of like how do you stay sane at all and and kind and holding space at all with like just my perceived you know just the legacy you get to be born with you know of like all the fucked up shit but also then with this school stuff and i'm kind of interested also about um if you ever used like uh because uh, i never go to college but my brother had a lot of help from his college's mental health services but I was just wondering if you've ever been diagnosed with anything or if you've identified in yourself, like, what are your things that you struggle with? And um, and kind of the second one's part of that. So I, I last one was kind of one in this because I want to know if you've ever used mental health services at your school and if you've ever tried any medications. And this alcohol is obviously on the list, I'm sure. But um, yes, that one. Let's do questions one and two. Totally. Um, I have not officially been diagnosed with anything. It's mostly because no, I haven't gone in to be diagnosed. Um, mm. I mean, growing up, <clears throat> mental health isn't on the forefront of anything in my family or on the reservation within our community. It's not a thing people talk about. It's kind of just like, well, that's how it is. And yeah. it's slowly changing, which is nice. But um, I, I'm, I'm a huge advocate for it, but I'm not... I'm not a person who needed it or no, not me. This is so interesting because, and I'm not challenging that at all. I mean, whatever people know themselves and I, I am very much like, I perceive you as a very strong, you know, maybe you're, maybe you're fine. I mean, it, I think it's good for everyone, whatever. That's not the point of what I want to say. I just wanted to say with my experiences, I, I avoided going to a psychiatrist until mm -hmm. I was like, right, 32 or something like that. I went to some therapist and stuff like that uh, later in my later 20s, especially and things like that. But I avoided any kind of diagnosis because I was just so fucking when I got real with myself, like freaked out about the idea of them giving me this name of being like, you have a thing that we're going to put on paper now. And now if you ever want to join the army or the police or some shit, they're going to look at this piece of paper and be like, oh, you're fucking crazy or something like that. Yeah. And, uh, and it was amazing to realize as like you said, as supportive as I feel I am of other people getting help as much as I'm like so woo woo and about people healing and like, you know, if they want to like redo their birth trauma or something like yeah. whatever helps you, you know, I don't care. But like. I wouldn't turn it on myself. I was like, yeah, but I'm not gonna. Exactly. Yeah. So I don't know. So I do understand the hesitation, but I also I also feel like. From a real politic uh, standpoint of of like your position in terms of identity politics versus mine there's more space i believe also for me to be like hey aren't i so great i'm 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 a strong puritanical white guy and i did go ask for help and that's actually the strongest thing you could do you know what i mean is and they'd be like wow look at that guy who 
didn't do the normal toxic male thing. He's so strong. Versus like if you're already a marginalized person, then it's like I do think it's scarier to run the risk of being like, and now I've got like a crazy label too or something like that. You know what I mean? I don't. For me, I don't think it was the hesitation or the idea of getting a label. I'm, I'm very much sure. I'm pretty sure that I have depression, like serious depression. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I can, I can, I, I just know. Like if I went mm-hmm. and got diagnosed, I wouldn't be surprised. And the, right. the title, the label, doesn't really scare me. It's I, for me and my unique life, I developed so many coping mechanisms that didn't make me feel like I needed to seek out therapy or mental health services. Mm. Me. Um, And you were talking to Laura last time, but something about a mechanism to like pull yourself away and look at yourself and analyze Mm. the situation. And that's how, that's literally how I've described it my entire life is the fact that I was able for at a very young age to pull myself away from whether it was a traumatic or emotional situation and just be like, oh, why am I reacting this way? It's because of this. And not necessarily actually experiencing it in a way. Mm -hmm. So I could be very analytical about the situation. That almost, that like almost dissociative effect of being like, this is a thing happening to the body and the person that I'm in. Exactly. But that also made me more effective in academics, in work, in everything. Because I could pull it away, I could recognize it, and then put it on the back burner for later when I could deal with it. That's huge. That's amazing. Yes and no. (laughs) Like, Well, no, I think it is. Well, I... Yeah, yes and no. Why yes and no? I think it's good because I was effective and successful. And then in a way, now I'm so dissociated from every emotional experience that I I know I can't fully experience it. And um and that's where um <laughs> mushrooms and acid came in. Interesting. The few times that I did it is the first time I did it, I literally was feeling 24 years of emotion that I had dissociated from because yes, didn't have the time. And like I had all my friends. It was a great like atmosphere. And I was just in my own little world processing 24 years of emotions that I didn't process in the moment that they were happening. And then now... Now that I know that that's how I go about experiencing things, certain things, and I think it'll lead into the other six quick cues, but things that I can't fully experience. And that's, so in a way it's effective because I can get through life more effectively and efficiently, but in a way Mm -hmm. I'm doing a disservice because now I have to, build new coping mechanisms in order to actually experience those emotions more fully and in the moment. Right. 
Yeah, you built the, like you got this one mechanism as a very effective survival mechanism, mm-hmm. which conveniently you could have you could have just gotten reactive anger or like rage or violence as you know as a protective. So I, that's why I think like it is a much better version because at least yours also in protecting yourself probably helps other people around you more also mm-hmm. because you're not just like passing that energy forward you're like sort of receiving and dissipating it it's just in the receiving and dissipating you're also dissipating yourself a little bit yeah like you're yeah so now you're like working this reintegration of like being in your self and body experience so like that is that does make sense to me that like this yes and no quality i think i just i guess i wish the majority of people's response was more yours because at least it'd be a nicer world if people's response to terrible things and difficult things early was to like dissociate and go well it's not really me it's these other things and you know but yeah it definitely does that's interesting because that really does speak to everybody's individual like mental health journey like what is your thing that some people i think most people probably need to do more what you do like learn how to step back explode yourself a little bit press pause and have that dbt thing that dialectical behavioral thing of like mindfulness and whatever but for you and for some other people out there who have that reaction, that naturally receptive one, um, which also holds space by like pushing yourself out of the way, you're, for you the journey is, is more about like presence and hearness and experience and like taking up space and fully feeling all that space that you take up. That's really interesting to me. Because definitely those two general, you know, poles, uh, in dialogue with itself like makes up your sense of that yin yang balance of that you know do you have any physical practices napping (laughs) yeah i would i would recommend maybe just experimenting like find something you like it doesn't matter if it's Mm -hmm. yoga or just some basic stretching or just push-ups and sit-ups or whatever the hell but i really find that helps i i would dissociate a lot i still do and part of the reason I started this like physical life, this whole like weird pursuit is because I feel like a, I'm very in extremes. I'm either like all here or all gone. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the all gone with my depressive episodes could last like periods of time. And when I would, and maybe this is the way my ADHD interacts with that. When I would be in hereness, I'd want it to be so extreme. So I'll, you know, so I, I'm much more likely to have like, a week or so or a few days where I like I now is an active day so I'm very active and then the rest is that like extremely lethargic extremely nappy away from my body but that I think the extremity is partly ADHD and partly a knowing of like I have to do things with this body and feel all the blood vessels working and moving and do something to bring me like here which I also think is why I do like weed so much now and I want to explore hallucinogens more because, again, the, the alcohol gives you a slippery little the, at the right the beginning of it. You, you feel more here and like, woo, and everything's greased up. But the yeah. overall effect is like it starts clogging everything and it's versus these other things that I do think encourage you to be just present, to be so much more here in your bones and your body. But that I think for you, especially because you're thoughtful and like spiritual and emotionally minded already, physical practices that I think other people do very unconsciously, like you're able if you're able to connect yourself to them, they can have just like really profound benefits, I think, for for helping with some of that stuff. Totally. I'd recommend just just searching around, looking for stuff to ideally with a sense of playfulness, a sense of like that's something I think is missing from a lot of physical uh, 
practices these days is like what 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 it is when you're a kid that makes you run around and climb trees and wrestle and and you know whatever jump in rivers um but yes i don't know that's just a thought i wanted to just say that <laughs> i love that i'm writing that down yeah physical practice doesn't matter especially i think especially like yoga is good for it and boxing is good for it because both of those inherently ask you to link your breathing with your body mm-hmm. and that um which is much easier for me to do in physicality than to sit and do meditation. I'm getting a little better at sitting in meditation, but a sort of moving meditation is much better for me. Totally. <laughs> and that breath and body synchronicity is like, yeah, it's good. It's good. Yeah. But so you, so you never get diagnosed with a depression thing, but you do feel you experience those things. Yeah, for sure. I, I usually describe like normally I, I'm fine. I'm more than happy to hang out with people, but there are days and even weeks that I go and it, I describe it as I feel like a puppet with a wet blanket Mm -hmm. on me. And that's just when I know I'm just bleh. And, And you isolate, you feel you isolate when you do that? Oh, I definitely isolate and I, um, and napping is my kind of my thing is I will, I used to do that hours hours what does that do you think the isolating i don't know because i could go either way on this about my feelings about it but do do you think when you isolate it's because of an instinct that the isolating is something you need for healing or the isolating is the illness trying to prevent you from being like being out in the world do you know what i mean like is is it like because there's a part of me now that i'm like i wonder because you came from a big family that you had to take care of also Mm. like I I've only later in life once I got less afraid of it really crave my aloneness now because it's like I never had my own space and my identifying and once I got unafraid of being with myself now I like the time and so part of me wonders if like in some of my depressive states if it's a depression that's maybe been triggered by like how overwhelming and terrible maybe the world is or other people or like empathy starts to feel when you don't have your own headspace that if some of the isolation is like almost like a healing phase, Mm. you know, or if it's the other thing, because there's also a version of depression where it would really help you to be around other people and they can, you can serve other people and they bring you out of your thing and the illness wants to like protect and um, preserve itself. So it isolates you for that reason, you know? Yeah. The isolation for me, I would think it depends on what I'm doing during that isolation. If I'm just napping, it's definitely just, the depression wanting to me to be depressed. And, yeah. But if I'm doing my other self-care things, like um, taking care of my plants, I have a ridiculous amount of plants in my small apartment. And yeah. Like, but, like, uh, taking care of plants, uh, face masks, like a nice long bath, <laughs> those kinds of things. And yes. Sitting in my bed and being isolated and like texting my friends that I don't want to go out tonight. That's when I know it's not productive. Yeah. Okay. That's really funny. Those are good identifying factors of like the types of aloneness, the types of isolation you're doing. Exactly. And I am, I'm probably in a constant state of if I'm not in my just depression mode, I'm in a constant state of self care and I'm constantly doing something that is like, 
self-care day when it's like yeah normal thing no i think self-care i mean we could do a whole thing on self-care like self-care as a as it's become such a punchline along with many other like good ideas i guess in the culture but um it's like it's such a crucial real idea that i do think has been like co-opted into something really stupid and glib to a certain degree and it's weird because much like I was, I feel about the physical stuff, like I do think you can imbue even very mundane, like getting your nails done or something, you, like very mundane sort of surface level shit. You can imbue it and make it ritualistic into a true self-care experience. Um, but vice versa, I think you could take like deeply self-care. Like I think I've met a lot of like sort of that Dharma bomb idea, but for the modern day, like people who like, really love living in that yoga Sanskrit world uh, or like that burning man thing of like, you know, they're not even there for like the healing. They just like the sort of like culture around the healing. You know what I mean? The aesthetic of that whole fucking thing. Uh, And you're like, self care is just, that's not, you're not really self caring. You're just doing whatever Exactly. this is, you know, (laughs) But you could put it in a GIF. <laughs> you can be like, self-care, namaste. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. So. The fucking whole moon juice thing. <laughs> like moon juice, goop self-care. Um, I get some funny fucking stuff. Some uh, There's this one friend um, on fucking Instagram who sends me. He just sends me like a bunch of other um, moon juice style. False mirror. He sends me the best fucking shit on Instagram. But it's like other goopy like you know very wealthy white woman like crystal wellness self-care shit and um my i'm kind of like from that world and i just feel like uh, this special place of like love and disgust for it um because i i I, it's hard it's hard not to see the positive intention that idea of everybody the sum of their experiences Mm -hmm. even if they're so ignorant on some level about the way or how they say things it's i feel this way about my brother sometimes it's like he's like he's like mr peanut butter from uh bojack horseman you know he's like he's never acting in a bad he's like a golden retriever he's just like (laughs) doing his best but like just the things you are taught or unaware of as uh just day-to-day life you know it's so weird. I don't know. I just, it's difficult because I do go down these like shysty little holes, like criticizing these like people of like fake woke self care, whatever. I don't know things, but then I'm like, I'm like, Oh, but they really do mean well. I don't think they like, yeah, I don't know. But there's maybe that's part of what I like about the way we've talked in the past. And it, it starts to open up my eyes to like, basically, it's uh that like just because you mean well it can still be like not right and also that's okay like you know yeah like what's not okay is if you just refuse to look at it and go no i mean well so i'm gonna keep doing this how dare you exactly. instead of being like no it's okay a to understand mean well doesn't doesn't mean it is well (laughs) and then and then that like it being okay to not be that because you get a chance to be better exactly i feel like everyone else feels like the nature of reactionary dialect or uh, whatever dialect i'm saying i didn't want to use one of the three the nature of it is such that you don't feel like you get a chance to learn and be better so you have to hold your position exactly and like explain how you can't be wrong because you're coming from a good place yeah well that goes back to that idea of intent versus impact and 
how some people only want to look at one or the other. And yeah, usually you getting the criticism, you're looking at your intent. And then when it's someone looking Ugh, at you, very good. You, it's fuck. Wow. Impact. And yeah, and that's very good. Did we talk about that before? That's so good. That was from my original um, thing. Intent, yeah. but I don't remember that. That's very good because it's easy. It also has more alliteration in it. Yeah. But intact, uh, intent and impact, intact, <laughs> intent and impact. That um, that is actually really interesting because that's such a good way to understand why it's hard for us to argue yep. or why it's hard for us to fully commit to uh, a dialogue mm -hmm. because that's so true. All I can. See, that's so good. All I see is intent, and all the people I impacted only see the impact. Yep. And, and that you just have to step out of that cycle and go like, okay, which on both sides would help us get a lot further. If the people who are impacted could earnestly say, no, I see your intent. And the people who have Im impacted earnestly say, I see the impact. Yep. Then we'd fucking get somewhere. Oh, but it's like, yeah. you know, wow. Yeah, for sure. So it's interesting Damn. for you to say that, like, I see their intention of these people who self-care when it's not really right there, but in a way if it is for them then it is and yeah yeah if it is yes if it is for them then it is i mean i don't know it's interesting i uh do you know about the moon juice thing i made this like moon juice video a while ago do you know what moon juice is no moon juice is this string of uh juice shops in la and there was this woman who um published a, a food diary uh, in vogue or some shit and it went a little bit viral because it was so silly sounding and i just was my brain was broken by this uh i'll send you the video or something but it was, was by this video or by this story and i made a video where i just read it verbatim but i did it in this voice and i was like i'm Amanda Chantel Bacon and I am this is what I eat in a day and um, I just and people thought I was making it up because it's like sounds so silly you know some of the mushrooms you start to be like you're just making this up and you know what I mean like this like whatever and um, and also on the, on the uh, somewhat disingenuously but I on the other side of the screen I also added up everything like what everything costs like I kept putting like a dollar amount that would keep adding and it ends up being like over a thousand dollars like a day in like stuff, which is a little disingenuous again, because all the things she's naming, I'm just going online and Googling them and finding probably what's like a month supply or, you know, whatever. But anyway, it's still like so much money and so silly. And the things she says sound so over the top. And she's talking about her like, you know, toddler son, like his favorite restaurant at the sushi restaurant. I don't know. It's just like so silly, you know? Yeah. And I, and I, and it went like kind of viral. It got like a million something hits on Facebook. And I feel like they were all around LA and I was just talking, uh, someone, I think it's coming out in a month or something, but someone from this mag entrepreneur magazine said they're doing a story on her and wanted to talk about that video. Cause it went kind of viral. And she like, in the New Yorker was saying it said how like I had cyber bullied her or something like that by doing this video and I was or that it was it was like food sh or health shaming everyone on the internet was health shaming her because of this stuff and and I and I went on this whole I was like my point of view was not like that it's like f f you know frippery it's not like this like thing because of her being a woman or because of being health or anything it's it's the disingenuous quality of a certain aesthetic of self-care health talk that's not about actual health or wellness it's about a classist like have and have not thing where like you know that that's given away by the popularity suddenly there was like a moment a year or two ago in the culture of like 
uh, that was a viral thing about raw water that they were like these people were selling this twenty dollar a gallon water at these health food stores like Erewhon or whatever in Beverly Hills that they'd go up in these mountains and get and then it, it would like grow algae in a week or two because they're like yeah it's raw you know but it's like that's not better for you when you're eating all that fucking bacteria that you're probably getting giardia from like your twenty dollar a gallon water it just it's like anti-vaxxing it's like it's not based in science it's like based in a, a, an opinion that you can hold as a behavior as we are the, the the aristocrats the wealthy the well put together people we have reishi and chaga and all these fancy mushrooms that we're going to upcharge you that you could have bought in a chinese medicine shop the last few years for like a dollar you know um and i drew issue with that like this faux idea of self-care but a self-care is like something that has to cost an arm and a leg and it's very exotic and very specific and very designer and that there's this um, you can hide under this blanket of like, no, we're not selling we're not selling lack and need back to you like a beauty industry does. We're selling wellness. You're going to glow from within, you know, like we're selling you health. It's not this fucked up cosmetic shit. And sort of like the wink and a nod lie of all that is where like the self-care thing. That's the bump in the road of self-care in the culture for for me now is like. It's a wonderful idea that I really wish people consciously did and realized, yes, just taking a bath, just painting your nails can say, like, I value this thing and this is beautiful and I'm going to have, like, stewardship over this thing of the earth that I, I, I get to shepherd through this small moment of dimensionality. Uh, but, like, what it's become in a capitalist structure is, is a thing to sell back to you, you know? Like, something fucked up about you that we can make money off of, you know? Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> sorry, there's a little rant. Um, let's do the third one. What's I think what's something cheesy you find inspiring was the next, uh, oh, God. the third six quick cue. <laughs> um, my thing would probably be fortune cookies. Oh, dude, that's a great one. Yeah. That's a really good one. Fuck, oh, yeah. yeah. I, Did I you get a good fortune uh, cookie recently? Yes, the other day, actually. I was just doing some panda express you know um, ah, dude that's so funny panda express miles my like you know my best fucking friend he's he leaves on this trip i just i almost screen capped it but he sent me in our whatsapp it was like and this is like world-class chef like one of the best fucking cooks in the world he's traveling to like be in europe for three months cooking at some fancy fucking restaurant in like holland or some shit and i looked at her messages and it was like uh i love you i'm gonna miss you and i was like i miss you too bro blah, blah, blah. and then uh three hours later dude panda express is so fucking good <laughs> he's like honey walnut scramps and i was like just fucking hell yeah it's just so funny like there's that's why he's so fucking that's why he's the best cook in the world is because he makes this really high end shit. But like there's no pretending like garbage flavors aren't so fucking good. You know what I mean? Like if that's that's the self-care thing that bothers me, too, by the way, is those people would never be like, oh, Snickers bar tastes so fucking good. Yeah. They'd be like, no, it's I can't even it's too poisonous. It's too, you know, <laughs> I'd be like you're lying. Yeah, you're lying. Exactly. It tastes good. You know, anyway. Yeah. So yes, what was your fortune you got recently? Oh, I don't even remember. It was share like their knowledge or something cheesy like that. Yeah, yeah. So, you know why I think it probably appeals to you because you're a poet, you know? Yeah. Like bibliomancy is something I think you instinctively believe in when you're a poet. Is like these words that, you know, there's scritchings on a piece of paper that your eyeball receives and your heart just goes, <gasps> like that's truly magic. Totally. So it's like when you feel like some words find you, it's like, 
it, oh. you can't help but put meaning into it. Yeah, definitely. And I like used to keep them in my wallet and like between my phone case and my phone and for years. That's good. Yeah. It's like so. the fan like the phantom thread but for phones. Yeah, like exactly. I sew it into the linings. <laughs> exactly. Um that's really yeah, that's a good one. Plus it comes in a cookie, which is like nice. Yeah. Um <laughs> all right, good. Uh well, what's let's go on to the next one. Four. What's something dark you uh dark about you? I think that's the fourth one dark about me and everyone everyone says this is a hard one um they do say that and i don't know why i i just picked it because i figured i think early i was like i had a feeling that i'd have influencer friends do this and everybody always presents this bright image all the time and as i get more and more just like people and we talk about dark stuff throughout the episode i know it doesn't always like make so much sense it's like well what's the point of this but um yeah, I don't know. I think it does have to do still with still we even in the presenting of our darkness, there's a tendency to like be like and this is it's light actually because of how I'm talking about it. Mm-hmm. It's like the fa- the way I'm talking about my darkness makes it light. So those things about I guess my original intention with the darkness question, I'll just share more context with you cuz we're at this point discussing it is like those parts of us that maybe we aren't that we aren't proud of. You know what I mean? Those things that like we're still working on or that we those dark things that we sh- and that's where what I mean by dark it doesn't I think that dark has a goth sort of vibe to it which I think is fun and like I do also appreciate any sort of like instincts around like sex and death and that kind of thing but there's also just more like you know what I mean like the thing that isn't like mature about us that we're like I'll talk about this in a reasonable way I under you know this is something that we're actually that's dark about us yeah yeah which is kind of put somebody on the spot in a real way so you don't have to feel obligated either but anyway that's it i I, i'm just always interested in how people react to that question because it's it's definitely it's the taboo subject of things we don't want to talk about which is yeah and i guess it does fly in the face a little bit of my general attitude about this power i never want people to feel like it's a therapy session i don't want to feel people like to feel like they're on the spot they have to do some like performative processing or give me some juicy fucked up details about stuff that's not you know what i mean which is easy for podcasting to slip into wanting to do that definitely because you're like making content so i need like let's get some juicy shit that people are like wow that's not ever what i wanted out of it but the dark question kind of goes in the face of that like well if you it opens the door perhaps that if you wanted to you could do it here but it's still not really what i want out of it you know what i mean definitely anyway definitely the only thing i can really think of that's dark about me is to go to the extreme but my I would say the dark thing about me is my understanding or my experience with death. And mm-hmm. Like growing up, I with within the Native community, there are a lot, especially with the time that we're at, the older generation is getting to the point where it is their time to pass. And so growing up, I went to tens not hundreds, but it feels like a hundred funerals. And in our tribe, it's typically one to three days of a wake. So we stay in one place Mm -hmm. and we sleep on chairs and floors and we stay with that person to mourn. Um, And so I got really used to death and being in that space. 
and even like growing up I um we had our also our dogs lived forever so growing up I was I had always seemed to be the only one there when the dog passed away or knew that the dog was going to um, pass in a few minutes or a couple mm. hours and I just happened to be the person there and it was I had to break the news to the family or um, specifically uh, my grandma thought her dog was pregnant and I was just happened to be home and helping out um, and she brought her in and she was just lying on the floor and I was like no, I think, and we li- she lives in the middle of nowhere. It's on the reservation, so there's no vet. It would have taken like three hours to get anywhere close to a hospital or someone, an expert to take care of it, but I just knew, and like 10 minutes later, the dog passed away, and mm. like, so, and I don't, re- I don't really remember, like even my grandfather, who had just recently passed away a couple years ago, I didn't t- attend his funeral and and it was not because I didn't want to it was like oh I'm in school I have three jobs like I just couldn't I literally couldn't afford to do it and like I and that was my grandpa like yeah. the, the the comfort I have with death I think is what most people are uncomfortable with about mm-hmm. me so I think that's probably my yeah. thing. Something that's that interesting. I, I, that is that fascinates me. Uh, I, I've talked about it on the pod a little bit. I feel my brother's been. It's weird to me that my brother's been visited by death so much more, versus me when we had such close, uh, you know, experience of being the same literal family and yeah. you know three years apart. Um, and there's some other people I talk to. I do think that's a thing. Some people seem to be. It's it's so hard for me not to build narrative on stuff. It just seems like touched by death. Like you're just you know something in you is like experiences it more sees it more that that's really interesting i wonder if that doesn't have to do with that perspective thing you're talking about earlier about like why your instinct was to step back and um, dissociate and examine versus react and be angry or hurt or something because death is such an impossible like you can you go through a grieving process and anger can be part of that for sure but like I don't think anyone honestly, you know, if you're thoughtful and you're on death, it's just so fucking cosmic and infinite that you, there's, there's the response of anger towards it is so, it would be like being mad at the ocean. Like you just can't, it doesn't make sense. So it demands that you step back into a a more super ego cosmic space sort of, you know? Totally. It's interesting. I didn't know about that, the, the, the wake thing. That's like, um. Shiva, you know, sit in Shiva in Jewish culture, you like sit for three days mm-hmm. uh, similarly. And that, that three day mourning period is an interesting, that's just interesting that there's something uh, that seems like universal and cultures all over the world that have this like three day thing, whether it's like Jesus on the cross or uh, uh, Odin hanging on the world tree for three days. And, you know, Shiva, you sit Shiva for three days, three days later, he came out of the fucking boulder like what is it that's interesting to me i don't know one to three days that there's something in us that understands like that's the time it takes for i don't know the soul to go all the way or for us to like sit with it and really bring it in and then i don't know that's interesting do you know what that comes from or why that is no i it's just 
it was just the, the norm. Like that was that's yeah. the thing that no one just really. How, how old were you when the first like when you first like went to a funeral? Remember something like that happening? First one. From what I can remember, it was probably five or six. Mm-hmm. Were they? Were was the energy of them like very like? Was it fun? Was it celebratory? Was it very sad? Like, what is the vibe of those kind of? You know, like Irish wakes are tradi- are typically like you party to some degree. You know, I remember my buddy's mom died in high school. Uh, and we went uh, and we got fucking drunk. It was one of the first times, really. And there's part of me still that I think alcohol in mourning is one of the few, like, really appropriate times to drink. Like, yeah, because no, there's something about it that just enters that darkness and that sadness. Um, but anyway, what's the what's the energy it, it's, of those three days? It's definitely he- like heavy is the best way I could describe it. And yeah. Um, and I just remember like my mother and all like these amazingly strong women like wailing Mm. absolutely willing and i think now that i think about it that's probably why i got so comfortable with it was because in that moment the people who i saw as the strongest most like amazing people were at their most vulnerable and then i to be that strength for them so then i had to put everything else and and like you said dissociate and then to be okay with what was happening so that they could go ahead and process it and so like that's interesting i've never Mm -hmm. that but yeah yes definitely i think that what is why it contributes to me being so comfortable with do you do the do you wail when you grieve I really don't. So um, I participated in like this photo project for my office and he was asking me like, do you get angry? Like, can you show me how you get like, I don't do that. Yeah. And that's that comes from my coping mechanism of being able to put my energy into something else and process it that way and grieve that way and i think that definitely comes from like being a poet and um wanting to educate others on certain topics and um giving that space for other people to to be vulnerable and to want Mm -hmm. and to be validated and that's my form of grieving and form of processing yeah is because i wasn't given that space in that time so I need to give it to someone else in order to process my own. And so, yeah, <clears throat> but the whole death thing that it's you're right now. I'm, Very interesting. Yeah. Um, well, that's good. That's a, we'll, we'll, sh- we'll slip, uh, slip past it. Um, what's the, uh, what's the last gorgeous thing you saw? The last gorgeous thing I saw. Um, I I just coordinated my aunt and my uncle's wedding this past weekend. Mm. So, and yeah. I got to see all of my little, like, I don't, literally everyone this past year had a baby, apparently. So I, I got <laughs> to see everyone. And I just refused to let go of any of them. So <laughs> I had the most baby time just because I knew I wouldn't see them as often. So. That's cute. That's nice that you do that. I I still I don't have like the strongest with babies. I'm kind of like 
cool. All right. You know, I mean, I, that being said, I had a really wonderful time with my nephew, like, like yeah. who's, you know, he's five when I got to see him at the holidays a lot. And he's really cute. But I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting. I've never had like a super duper like, you know, when other people are like, look how cute these babies are. I'm like, I think dogs are cuter, but they're it's cute. That's a cute yeah. baby. You know, Yeah. no, I'm I like, know. this is my baby. I'm going to take was <laughs> well, that that mama thing? I mean, how did that mama Terry thing start? Mama Do you have like a sort of. Um, so when I was in my rebel phase, I and we were going downtown a lot. Um, that's when I recognized like when I was really, really drunk, I would not only talk in third person, but I would also turn on this personify or whatever of mama and i'd be like mama's tired or mama's mm -hmm. drink or something like that and it just kind of yeah yeah on. and then it definitely morphed into this idea of me being everyone's mama like yeah i have friends who haven't called me by my actual name in two to three years just because i'm mama <laughs> um yeah and certain people only know me by that name and it's the fact that like in my small small ass apartment, I invite fifty plus people to have food, and all yeah. fifty yeah. people. Do you prefer? Do you feel more like Mama? Like, do you, is that like your standard? Like, if you introduce yourself, do you say like, "Oh, nice to meet you, I'm Mama"? I I normally, if I don't know the person, uh, it's more or less the other pe person who would call me Mama. It doesn't I mean yeah that's yeah but I, I have a friend uh he's where he his musician name is Coda I think but I met him as Coda his name's Jordan and I noticed his girlfriend calls him Jordan but I'm like he's like my good friend I still just call him Coda all the time and I'm like oh that's weird I just know you as Coda so it's like that that's what I mean so it would be more like if someone was like oh and this is mama yeah and you would and then you'd be mama to those people but exactly. if you introduce yourself you just say I'm Terry yeah normally I'm Got Terry it. and then if I if I'm the one to initiate the relationship and like I invite them over to that big thing and they actually come like, yeah, then they're inducted into and everybody. Yes, yeah. that's very good. Then. Yeah. But no, it's it's something I started, but it's not something that I'm not like maintaining. Everyone else is for sure. Yeah, well, it's good. It's, I mean, but it's just it is it does resonate. There's a thread of that for sure. Like, yeah. don't like these babies are mine and I take care of took care of even your parents, but taking care of your siblings. And, mm -hmm. you know, and there is a you know, it's, it's funny because obviously so, a lot of that's like you shouldn't parent. You know, you're parenting your parents, blah, blah, blah. But that is a very nice quality to also have as like. So we'll just we'll just focus on the nice side of it for that yeah, part of it. Exactly. Not the like, you know, exactly. latent codependency it instills in us. <laughs> no, it is really nice. Um, <laughs> on that, uh, how about uh, let's do the um, let's do the last one. Let's do the don't kill yourself list. Coffee, sandwiches, lavender soap and uh, whatever. What do you like on there? Uh, oh God. I mean, um, I guess you did already say face masks and baths, which yeah, is like, you know, those, those <laughs> things are good. My biggest thing is definitely like house plants, like whether that's a succulent yeah. or like some other things that I cannot take care of. I'm more of a succulent cactus kind of person. Mm -hmm. I, I, um, I have, I think over 40 plants just in my room crazy amazing yeah, it's getting out of hand like i've replaced i used to collect trinkets from thrift stores and now i'm replacing the spaces with plants yeah and that's a much better i mean obviously it's more work but i think like that's going to create a better space overall you know sure like i can feel my room is like lighter and nicer and it's just it feels really nice yeah 
so house plant house plants that's good succulents is also like a non-threatening start yeah well and that's an interesting thing is everyone says succulents are like easier to take care of well <laughs> the only thing easier about it is you have to water it less but the thing is still gotta water it yeah a lot of people want actually want something that they can care for consistently and succulents don't need to be cared for consistently oh so I, that's interesting so there is kind of a so i'll grow weed plants for that you know yeah, just check in leading i think to say succulents are an easy plant to take care of because it's definitely a delayed gratification when most <laughs> people want that instant gratification of having a house plant and for me yeah i like 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 i said i like the challenge so i like that delayed gratification yeah aspect of succulents and growing them and propagating them and waiting for weeks to see if they actually live or grow when other yeah. plants are quick like and right. instantly so for me i would say if other people say they don't have a green thumb probably go into something that needs more care because you'll be more invested initially yeah in that makes sense succulent where you'll forget about it because it isn't something you're consistently thinking about so for me it's misleading and i don't really like that because a lot of my plants are from other plants that i've propagated like i i've only bought like five plants maybe but the rest mm -hmm. of them are babies from those other plants so yeah but so plants that's cool yeah i love plants i want to try growing some more stuff <laughs> I do want to grow a weed plant. I think that'd be fun. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't. I mean, I haven't. It doesn't seem like that hard. I, mean, I don't know. I don't know. Just growing a plant. Yeah. If if my parents could do it in the basement of our house, I think I could do it. Exactly. There you go. <laughs> I just feel like I. I just love. Uh, I want to grow more things. I like growing like herbs. I like growing things I can eat and like mm -hmm. that they feel so interactive. I want to. I did like very briefly a million years ago. I did something that was like akin to a podcast but it was only like five minutes long and it was uh where i'd go foraging you know just like learn about foraging and stuff like that and i went on this with this one guy who does the who did these like foraging hikes outside la and i was like everyone should be the, your your introduction to the woods should always be with like a forager like when you learn like everything you see is like that could be a poultice and that can be something you can eat and that can be this or that and um it's just amazing the world's so much more alive when yeah. you're you know, it's not just like greenery, flowers. <laughs> it's like uh, incredible. And I started walking around L.A. when I did the foraging thing and suddenly start noticing all the fruit trees that grow here, totally. you know, and you, they don't even see before. They're just there. Exactly. Um, but anyway, so growing, yeah, growing things, I think maybe I'd be inspired to grow something that you could eat or smoke or something oh, just because. But that being said, just this, this the big green breathing plant in your room seems very like nice on its for its own sake you know oh for sure yeah it's really nice half of my room is currently replaced by plants so we're just so good yeah um well i don't know i think that's good i feel like that was a good that was a pretty good first foray into a quote-unquote listener interview but i don't know i mean mama terry we i've got like i don't know this is a pretty good one i i don't i, I like this uh this is fun i don't know yeah i always learn something it was good i I mean, also, also a first remote attempt. So, I mean, I'm hoping it's, I hope this is like, totally worst comes to worst. I'll just use this recording and we'll see if people hate it or not. But it's like, you know, I think I'm, I'm psyched to get your recording. Hopefully it'll sound all clean and pretty and we'll all be like, 
new strategy and works, you know? Yeah, exactly. And this is giving me good insight to, because I definitely want to start a podcast too. And just Yeah, I think you should. I definitely, I saw, I saw your Instagram, you were putting like potential titles and stuff. And I was like, definitely do that. I mean, I don't know. I think there's so many, I guess there's so many podcasts out there, but like, this has always been so informative anytime you decide to speak up and, and talk to me about something and i'm just like put that in the fucking world you know especially now you can do it from anywhere like you know it doesn't take that much equipment to do something and, and this podcast has been really inspiring for me because it's like it's not like a huge it's not like paying all my bills or anything like that and it's not like a huge but there's like the the listeners grow a little bit every week and i feel like the people who do listen we like there's a little bit of a sense of community and I, and I'm just, t I just amazed at how you, we can like, we ne if I never did this, we never would have connected and, and, and you've impacted my life in real human ways. And I get messages regularly and I just continue to be struck that like, even though I keep doing my good, bad brain, because quite frankly, the majority of it is just, I know it's good for me. Like I, it helps me every week to do it, but keeping it this freewheeling formatless kind of, I mean, there's a little bit of a format at this point, but yeah. you know what I mean? This kind of thing and knowing that this just kind of, kind of mimicking while I saying, I don't want to be doing therapy, sort of mimicking therapy where like, I long felt that like the gift, like one of the, the most healing aspect of therapy was just that you did it, that you set aside this 50 minutes every week to, or hour and a half truly to like drive across town, go to your point. It didn't even matter what you talked about really, just that you were like talking with the intention of the subject matter being your experience and hopefully it, making it better seems helpful. I just, it's just, I just know that in itself is healing and helpful for me. Um, and I am, I am like the light is kept burning and glowing by people else online getting a message randomly from like someone messaged me from like Uruguay the other day. I was like, how the fuck are they getting my good brain in Uruguay, you know? But the internet, it's like you could be in your room in fucking Montana and, you know. <laughs> exactly. It's huge. It's, like, amazing. Yeah, it's pretty wild. So it's... Well, do, what's your Instagram or, or whatever? If you want, do you want to say... Sometimes people don't want to say, so if you, um, whatever you want. I mean, I don't post, like I said, I don't post a lot on any of that. I do a lot of... Well, just things. just if you... Where where would you want... If you do end up starting a podcast and anybody who listened to this one wanted to um, be aware of that, you know, no, this is... be... Um, I don't even know what it is. Indigiqueer93. Both on... Is that the year you were born? 93? Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah, I think my little brother was 94 or something, 95. It's just crazy. <laughs> 93. That's why I was, I put, I, yeah, 85, you know. Yeah. Um, all right, cool. Indigiqueer93 on Instagram. And uh, are you on Twitter now, and too? Twitter, yeah. But that, those are yeah. really the only two. Because I know you went in and out. I know you, like, bounced out for a minute. Yeah. I highly, I totally support that. Yeah. A it's Social media has been interesting for me. I don't love Dude, it, but it's definitely like yeah. I watched um. Well, I don't know. I recently I made a little bit of a thing. I wanted to be like a bit of a silly goose again, more online. I felt like I was getting really heavy, and I like when I use it as a playful thing. It made people laugh. So I've like tried to. I've been doing a little bit more of that lately, just because it for when it cheers me up. But then I just think it's also just a sink of like put your energy somewhere else, like. My mom has this phrase she used to say, um, making molehills out of, I think I said this in the last week's episode, making molehills out of mountains. Oh. And sometimes that can happen with uh, social media is you have, you might have a great idea that deserves life and body and time in like a book or, or something big, a project, but like you just make a tweet 
or you make like a, a few paragraphs of a Facebook post and it's like, oh, there, I got it out. And you get a few extra likes and people are like, wow, that was really interesting. But then you've just something that might have been a really big idea. You like just put it into this thresher of like the feed, right? The literal feed, this, this teeth yeah. grinding everything up. Um, so yeah, I think it's, I think it's, and then I watched fucking that eighth grade movie and I was just like, I never, I don't like phones. I just don't. <laughs> so sad. It's so sad. Uh, but anyway, that being said, in DigiQueer93, worth the follow, <laughs> even though you don't post that much. Um, all right. Well, thanks a lot for doing this. We'll stop recording, but, and then we're obviously won't be hung up right away. Okay. All right. Thank you for doing this. Yeah, not a problem. I mean, all right. I'm going to stop the recording there and I'm stopping it here. That was my good bad brain today. Be well. Hydrate. Self-care. Check out patreon.com slash mygoodbadbrain if you feel like sharing some monies with the show to keep us going. And um, yeah, take care of yourselves. Leave a review if you like it. Bye. Have a good one. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.